Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we touch a little bit more on metagaming and railroading your players, the good and bad, and the effects of both, and how to keep the game fun and interesting. You are not allowed as a DM to say no. I mean, you can, but a dick move, man. Dick move. Right? Well, you they talk about... Your... The, the, everywhere online, when there's memes and everything about railroading your mm-hmm. players railroading, railroading yeah. your players so let's let's start with the absolute ground basics jim what is railroading uh railroading is a popular tool among dms with um less experience to force their players to go through situations that they have set up for the players because they're probably not accustomed to improvising they're probably not accustomed to off-the-cuff play and they may be hopefully a new dm or a dm that's just played that way for a long time and the players love it which is not a bad thing but um yeah it's forcing the players through what you have prepared i feel like modules especially old school modules um that's what they were is your railroading like this is the scene that happens first after that this scene happens after that there's this scene and then you're at the end of the quote-unquote campaign and there's no real feel of a back and forth uh um, there's no real feel of like a world that you can explore it's basically you're reading a book and you hope you survive oh well if you're really good at it um like i had a dm when i was younger who he played nothing but old school ad&d modules and uh, he was a really good DM, and it felt very exploratory. It felt very wide open, but in the end, it wasn't. So railroading isn't always a bad thing, but uh, it's just not something I do. Um, and I think a lot of DMs are going to tell you the same thing. It's not something they do because they don't want to be pigeonholed into the guy that does that by pigeonholing their characters and players through situations so what about the old adage of you're in a forest and you see the path goes two ways left and right which path do you take is that a form of railroading that regardless of what path they take they're always going to find and attack that troll um it depends i mean the the problem is that we've been trained as players over the years, especially those of us who've been playing D&D for a very long time, uh, to look for things like this. The uh, and, and, you know, when we see it, we're, oh, you know, this, these, there's not really a choice is there, DM. I'm going to, if I take the Southern path, it's just going to lead me a different way to get to the end of the road. Well, I mean, as a DM, if I do that, you may or may not end up in the same place and you may or may not fight something similar or the same um a lot of times i don't know what's on either path but that's that's a whole that's a whole different story depending on um what we're talking about because it's more about where does the path go at the end of the story you know at the end of the path is there the same town no matter which way we went regardless if we fought that troll or that ogre in this 
and the there's a word for it and i i was fishing for it in my mind trying to think of it but i couldn't think of it there's a an old story about an ogre that the dm wants the players to fight no matter which way they go they're going to end up fighting that ogre and i think that's kind of what you were referencing back. right yeah and i remember there were a few times in vulcan Minar when we were playing around and we had these situations come up we had this idea of we have a very clear path of where we're going uh we know which uh, location we're supposed to be taking that path in and then we get there and the path branches off and you know we do the old rpg stuff of like all right well does one path look where more worn than the other um is one path lit and the other one's not you know constantly looking for um diversities between the two and i remember specifically we went down one path and it was a monster like we were climbing down you know, like 20 foot, like almost vertical stops, sliding over uh, slopes and trying to, you know, hook ropes to swing from one platform to the other. And then we found out on the way back, the other path was just a lot easier to walk in. Like there was no, very little have, issues. You may have veered off the path a bit. Yes. <clears throat> it's just bound to happen if you're playing in a Wilderdark campaign. You're bound to get lost somehow, and you guys did, and you found your way out of it because there's all sorts of cracks and crevices and tunnels. You were, I think, I don't remember what area that was in, but yeah, I'm I can't remember where sure. we were going either. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in the um, in the maze caverns, mm. if you will, and uh, that you guys got yourself into, which is it's a fitting um, name. Um, yeah. So the the labyrinth caverns that's what it's called not maze labyrinth it's more elegant much more elegant so i that part of me in What's terms that? of the player is maze caverns is great creativity <clears throat> and i feel like we've talked about a lot of different players we've talked about those players that are just there to roll dice we've talked about players that are really into their characters and that's what they care about is the rolling playing aspects but then there's another character there's another player that i feel likes to push boundaries and not so much to the fact of um let me see what my character t can do but it feels more like how much of a, as a player can i get away with yeah, I've I've definitely come across those kind of guys. I think that, um, and and that's that's where you start to get into the player versus DM mentality. And I think we've talked about that a little bit on the show. Um, the player and the DM are are on two different sides. You know, the DM wants to kill the player; the player wants to kill the monsters, uh, which is not. I don't ever feel that way. And I hope that I, my games never feel that way. At the end, I want the players to be heroes too. I want it to be as difficult as possible. I want to push the boundaries. But when you start to push too hard, the players can feel like this is an unwinnable situation. We have to somehow figure out a way to beat our DM. Um, and I think that's when that situation comes up where you start to get the player who wants to be the leader and wants to spearhead that motion at the DM where they take the players off to the side and they have secret meetings after the game about how they're going to attack. And then when the DM says, okay, what are you guys going to do? 
Uh, do you have a plan? We're not going to tell you our plan. Like, well, you're going to have to because I'm the storyteller. <laughs> right. So I, th I think that's what you're driving at. Am I right? Yeah, because I feel there's there's always that in between of because I've definitely played in games where I was the backseat uh, ride along character. who was just there to be there and was happy to, to be part of the group. The mailman. Yeah. You know, everybody likes the mailman. He doesn't get in the way and he's always got something trusty in his back. Um, typically it's owned by somebody else, but and I've also been that player that it's, you know, I have had to step into a leader role because the group was so aimless and so rogue, uh, not just in terms of the characters that we were playing, but just as a playing group, just as a group of people, um, there was no order. There was no conduct. And as a, and as a DM, I can reflect the fact that that makes the game even more difficult because now you're trying to wrangle in so many of these players to try to get them back on track into playing these games. <laughs> and it's, you feel it's like you know the five hours of work that you did has gone to waste now. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because in a game I'm playing with, uh, a, a, for me, a newer group, um, I've only been playing with them for a few months, and it's an online game, and none of us have ever met each other. Um, but it's, it's a wild group, man. We are all over the place, like literally all over the map. And that's exactly what you're describing right now. Uh, and I'm starting to feel the same thing that you're talking about there that like, maybe do I need to step up? I'm playing a very reluctant character, but he's, but he's driven. Like, do I step up? I think I should, but I don't know if I'm taken seriously. Right. Um, you know, some, something like that. And uh, so I totally get where you're coming from because I'm going through it right now. And right now. And as somebody who's, you know, been playing for a while and realizes that I have a role to play, um, it's hard to, especially when you've created a character that is essentially supposed to be a side character. They're supposed to be a B character. You know, they're not supposed to be the guy out front making all the decisions. And it's hard as a player, in my mind, to be able to take that step up and like, okay, I need, we need a leader. Like, I have to be the leader now. You know, here's the thing about what you're talking about because um, while I can relate, um, I think it's part of the mistake that I made in making character was taking that, that role. Like you're talking about, I made my character to be more of a side character. Um, he's his personality is one where he'd rather himself and he's more interested in food and, and hunting for food. Um, and he's got this different mentality than the rest of the group. Uh, and when I saw it, especially once we started playing, I was like, great, this is going to work perfectly because we got leader types in the group. And, um, then I took that that role, but I think I'm not sure if the DM had a little more in mind for me to be a different type of um, character or what. But like, I think that doing that has been to my detriment in this game, where um, I perhaps could have played a larger role because of the way that the game flowed, and I maybe should have stepped up a little sooner. Um, and asked to been taken a little more seriously. But I had that that predetermined thought in my mind that I was going to play a certain way. Right. And that's, and to me, again, going playing both sides of the field, 
being a player, that's kind of soul crushing because you've put all of this time and effort into this character and you want this character to be very specific. And now all of a sudden, like his confidence has to be, you know, a plus 10 and he has to have reasoning skills. And it's like, oh, no, I wanted to be a drunk little dwarf and I can't do that anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's that that's the thing as a DM and as a player that we can fall into, though. Those are traps, I feel like built-in traps to the whole RPG world. Um, if you have made this character in your mind to be this one thing, and then when you start playing, you realize the world's a little different than what you anticipated. Maybe the players are a little different than what you anticipated. Certainly the characters might be different. And it's hard. And what we're trying to do, what what are we trying to do when we play D&D? We're trying to tell the best story that we can, right? Right together as a group um and so if we all take a random character concept that doesn't work with the rest of the group very well and we solely play that concept and we say but that's not something my character would do are we telling a good story and i mean at the end of the day as a group you want that story you don't want it to be one person leading the book you know what i mean Truly, you don't, uh, but that's usually what does happen. That's not what you want, but that is what happens a lot of the time um, because it's going to be a dominant player who ends up leading the group, and I'm rarely a dominant player. I don't think of myself as a good player at all. I think of myself as a DM, the eternal DM, or I think they call it the forever DM now, Uh and whenever whenever I want to play, I think that's a romantic thought in my mind because when I actually play, I don't have as much fun as when I'm DMing where I want to do it for a little while. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done playing. I want to DM again. Um, Why do you think that is? It's just like, uh, it's just demons in your blood. Demons in my blood. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Just be, maybe because I've been doing it 95% of my gaming in the past 33 years has been DMing maybe maybe that's why maybe that you're created or maybe that you're born you know what came first the chicken or the egg I don't know Mm. I don't know but I love being the DM I love (laughs) stories (laughs) so um, you got all these players and they're all kind of going about the way they want to go about and you're not you playing I'm not me playing there's nobody in this group that realizes that there needs to be a leader, that there needs to be somebody who steps up and kinds to put everything back on pace. What as a DM do you do? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. Since I'm in the player position right now, that's a really good question. That's um, begging for a sense of perspective that I, because you as a group, like as the group, they think the game's going great. But as a DM, it's like we've been in this town for three sessions already. Okay. And nobody's taken the bait on anything. I don't know what to do anymore. I've got this guy over here who's trying to, you know, polymorph into something and then sell himself. Uh, and, then polymorph back. and then I've got this guy over here who won't uh, stop stealing from people. And... See what you did there railroading right mm. um <laughs> so when does okay. it when does it work and when you're when does clever, it not work clever co-hosts 
Um, I think that well, you're the host, aren't you? I'm the co-host. You're the talent, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm just I'm just here to make sure it gets edited, it gets uploaded, and gets publicity. <laughs> Flag. <laughs> All right. Uh uh what was the question again <laughs> so you're you're forced as a dm to railroad your group how do you do oh, it in a way that talking. doesn't look railroading oh man that's a sticky pickle right there um i all i can do is go back from experience what i've done because my gosh that ha does happen a lot um and i i think especially in my games because um i'm a very um story driven dm and i hope that the players bring a piece of the story to the table as well uh, and and they tell their story and it leads me down a different path as a dm that's i think what we all hope for mm. but there comes that time when the players get to draven and there's this incredible scene set up where when they walk into town they see that there's um a bot there's nobody in the streets um it's raining for the first time in a thousand years and i think that threw the players off um, so it's raining and then there's a body hanging in the middle of the street there's just someone who's been lynched recently and it marks the near the like the signpost of near the constable's office um sort of thing and and you guys went in and talked to them and i could not get the group to do what I wanted them to do in that town. You guys went up the hill. You found there was all these things. You, I think you were there, right? Do you remember this place? It's very vague. Keep going. Um, you were playing a cleric. You were playing Fossil Locks. The one and only Fossil Locks. That's correct. And then you had, you had interviewed some people in the town and... Um, they they were losing their mind a little bit or losing consciousness and doing crazy things and finding themselves in strange positions and then people would come out of their homes at random times in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day and their boxers basically in the rain they didn't care facing the same direction remember that yes um, yes and it was really creepy because you'd be two o'clock in the morning uh doing some kind of nighttime reconnaissance trying to figure out because a lot of the thing crazier shit happens at night and all of a sudden you walk down the street and there'd be nine people in random locations all facing toward this one hill in the middle of town that i brought a ton of attention to so all i wanted you guys to do is walk through the town go up the hill and into that house into that it was actually an old um records keeping building um at one time mm -hmm. near the the main keep and uh it looked like it the doors hadn't been opened in 20 years and it was all dusty and dirty and the, the door was locked not only was it locked it was stuck in place because the wood had warped but you guys even when i finally got you there didn't want to go in it was basically meant to be a creepy town where the rain had come marked some change and then you guys go in and you fight this little mini dungeon it was meant to be a session 
we were there for three sessions, <laughs> one of which was just deciding, standing at the threshold of the entryway to this place, whether or not you were going to go in. I felt like a whole session. But um, it was probably like an hour. But yeah, that so what did I do? One of my favorite of like everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Like, guys, guys, you all have been standing here talking in front of everybody. Like everybody can listen what yeah. you're saying right now. Nothing is on pause. We are not on timeout. Yeah. And I gave a boatload of clues to try to drag you guys up that hill. Um, I mean, a boatload of clues. And it was cool because it made it even more creepy. And I was just trying to think of ways to make it more creepy. So I think what you do is you want to gently railroad make the players make the decision you don't make the decision hell you guys almost didn't go in and i sure didn't talk you into it um but i finally got you there through clues and through you guys deciding that you were going to go up this hill um and thankfully you did go in for me but you didn't have to you could have walked on and maybe i would have thrown one more clue at you guys as you as you were leaving town but i kind of doubted at that point so, and, you know, there's other times when you've chased clues that weren't there and other times when you've passed by clues that I've just said, fuck it, I'll put it in later. And that's what I've done. I have completely re-leveled or re-skinned re encounters that I've made that were really nice. Just use a little different selection of bad guys or give a couple of extra abilities so it can happen later. But then the story tells itself in a different way because still this thing that you passed up completely and wholeheartedly did not take any of my bait. Next thing you know, it's right in front of you five or six sessions later. And that's kind of what you were talking about. If we go left or we go right. Um, but it was totally different now. And it meant, meant something different to the storyline, even though that, that creature or that character that you were meant to encounter was still going to give you a piece of information. So yes, it does make a difference. It makes a difference if you find it in the beginning or if you encounter it in the end, because the way that's presented is a way that you didn't expect as a DM for that story to unfold. Which again, you know, all of the stuff that you would have had, gets repurposed right it's not like it's wasted energy it's not like it's wasted time it's never wasted for me yeah I, anything if i make a map or if i make a setup or if i make um monsters it's gonna get used at some point maybe not in this game maybe in another game i mean maybe i'm just fortunate enough that i've got so many players who want to play in so many different games that i can put it in other games however i digress most of the time it goes right back into the story. So let's say you have a building, it's on fire and it's the building that they were supposed to go into. And you've got that one guy, that one player that still wants to go in. They want to spider climb up the wall and slip in through the glass window. that's on the second floor. What Tell do you do? Well, are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you could certainly try. 
you, you can certainly try. I never want to say no. It's one of the things we talked about earlier and um, what this whole thing was meant to be about. As a DM, you never want to say no. Um, if the players, if you have given all the warning signs and the players want to move forward, you let them move forward, and it's going to be a different uh, a different experience. There was, and I think we've talked about the story that I'm led to by this naturally because it's my favorite. We may have, I may have covered this story in a previous episode. So if you're new, then this is a brand new story. If not, this may be a different take on an old story you've already heard. But we had the uh, same character, Fossil, actually one of the my favorite games we've ever played. Mm. Um, Fossil, and there was uh, an assassin named Zubra with the group. And you guys were chasing down um, something called the Madness, right? Or oh, the Lethus. Right. And it existed in three different planes simultaneously, in three different forms as well, that was constantly shifting because the Madness was meant to be pure chaos. So there was a dragon form, a demon form, and wasn't there something else? Dragon, demon... Wow, I wrote it, and I can't even remember. Uh, I can't remember. Either. I know we banished the dragon. At the end. At the end, and then the demon form was... That That was this encounter that okay. we're, I'm about to... So you knew that the demon, or you had a hunch, I think there were clues in, in the city, that the, on the outskirts of this island town, if you take a, a, uh, a ferry out to this island... Which was like a an air fair, an airship because it was way up high on this mountain. Um, out to this like outcropping a stone, this other mountain. That there was a, a temple to your god, and that the right. demon had. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had possessed the body of this this priest, this high priest out there. Right. So Zubra was sent to go check it out to see if indeed he felt like this guy, first of all, is that priest there? Second of all, is he truly possessed? Are we going to go out here and raise hell and high water in your own temple? Um, that's a good way to get you killed, right? Oh. Ostracized from the church minimum. Mm -hmm. So, so he goes out there to scout reconnaissance, and he finds this old man in a bath by himself naked. And he he's pretty sure. In fact, I think he's almost positive that this is the high priest of said temple. Yep. And he assumes that he doesn't. I don't think he gets any information whether this is actually the demon or not, which it was. But he decides he's going to use his death attack. Three, uh, third edition, 3.5 assassin death attack which takes three rounds of concentration studying the target and then you get to make your attack and if it hits they have to save or die so and that's just in a nutshell um which he was invisible and he was hiding and he had all of his assassin skills in place but the demon has true sight and he has keen senses and he knew when the assassin came through the door. Of course, the assassin did not know that. But then he goes to make the attack, 
And I, the whole time, I'm saying, you can try. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, you got a pretty good idea this is a demon. So, uh, and now, and the preference this for those who don't know, the player is one of the... <laughs> He's he's one of those guys that love him or hate him. You could tell him straight to his face that this is a bad idea, and he's still gonna go for it. He had he had it in mind that he was um ballsy move, change the whole course of the game. Yeah, change. I mean, we had a whole session around this this attack that was ended up. You know, I let him try. I I had a feeling he would fail. That it was gonna be very difficult for him to hit in the first place and if he did hit that saving throw was going to be very easy for the demon to make i knew it he basically had to crit to hit and then he basically had to crit fail the save not i don't think it was crit on both necessary but it was pretty bad so the character goes for it the demon plunges his, the character's face under the water totally reveals himself and um, doesn't put the character out of his misery. Uh, right. Knocks him out, ties him up to a stake. They carry him out on, on this contraption with the stake on it. It's like a, uh, a rickshaw type thing or it's carried by dozens of, of these clerics. They parade him into town as um the heretic who came in and tried to kill the high priest. And then they're showing what happens to someone when they do that stripped naked. He was bloodied and beaten and tied and bound and gagged. And of course the players came in to the rescue of their fallen comrade. And, and that's where the battle played out. That's not where I meant for the battle to play out. That's not what, how I thought you would get to it. None of that happened the way I foresaw as a DM, but it was fucking cool at after it was all said and done and we go look back at that, it was an awesome story for all of us who were a part of it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.